What's up, guys? We're going to choose a podcast. My name is Saul Monali at Saul Monali NBA on Twitter. Here, joined by Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. Dan, how you doing? I am doing well, Solomon. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So we're 10 games into the season. The way I view this is like we're at the point of the season where like you can start drawing conclusions, but those conclusions are going to be half-baked until the 20-game mark. I think the 20-game mark is like the gold standard to really start drawing conclusions. Uh, so we're like halfway there. Like I, That's how I like to approach this when I'm writing about the Rockets. How do you view this point of the season? I don't know, like, I guess as expected, like, I don't know that you look at this team and I'm just curious as to what, you know, you as someone who covers them day to day would think has gone awry or has gone a lot differently. When you knew that John Wall wasn't going to be playing, when you're looking at the cast of players that you you knew were were going to play, I mean, maybe you expected like some guys like, you know, Daniel House to be healthier or play a bigger role or ditto for, for DJ Augustine. Did you expect Josh Christopher to get more minutes? Usman Garub would actually be part of the rotation. Um, I just don't look at anything and say this team is either outperforming expectations or like underperforming. Uh, there are some things that I think you could certainly focus on. And I, I think what I'm really glued towards the two things that have struck me anyway. And I think you tweeted about this one night is this the data of the, the Christian Wood and, and Daniel Tice pairing in the front court. I don't love it offensively. Um, even though it hasn't necessarily been a dumpster fire this year, I would like to see more of, I'm a big Wood should be a five guy, but if you're going to play him with a big, I like the idea of a Shangoon, or do you just go, like I said, move Wood to the to the five and and throw up different mashups at the, at the four. I'm really curious though, and I think we talked about this when you came on my podcast, I don't know what to make of the Kevin Porter Jr. as your point guard experiment yet. I'm of the mind, mm. I think these reps are super valuable for him, but I've almost been a little bit, to a lot of it, disappointed in his performance this year. So you touched on a lot there, that little blurb there. But 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 I, I like what you start off with. I I wrote something for Clutch Points yesterday, which is basically my biggest observations for the early season Rockets. And I wanted to do that exercise with you. Let's start with like my biggest takeaway, which is kind of what you touched on earlier. Um, this is gonna sound stupid, but I promise you, it makes sense. They're exactly as bad as I thought they were gonna be. And it, uh, I, I think I'm sure you felt the same way. And what I mean by that is, like, I remember going on your show and you asking me something along the lines of, isn't it possible the Rockets will be better defensively next season? Like, they have all these good defensive veterans, like David Nwaba and Daniel Tice and Jay Sean Tate is also pretty good. And I remember being like, absolutely not. Like, I, And then you told me, like, what their Vegas over-under line was, which at that point was, like, 26 and a half. And I think I told you something like along the lines of like, as soon as we get done recording, I was going to go put money down that on that under like heavy amount, like a <laughs> lot of money on that under. Now, obviously, I don't wager on these things, but I was completely serious. And I thought in that I thought they would be terrible this season. Um, they're giving serious playing time to three players on the roster under the age of 22. And two of those guys are comprising their starting backcourt. Uh, young players are terrible defensively. They turn the ball over and they miss a bunch of shots. And that's exactly what's happening so far. So that's my first big big picture takeaway. Uh, I guess you can react to that however you want. Well, if you if you care about being exact, I have our podcast pulled up. Like I kept track of it. So when we recorded, they were at twenty seven and a half <laughs> wins, and we both took we both took the under there. And then when we did like the we did one for the entire league, like me and my co host, and they the Vegas actually dropped it to twenty five and a half. I still took the under. Uh, my co-host went with the over, but I think that shows you how like weird it was set in the first place. Like, I don't even know Vegas expected John Wall to even play at all. The news had been out for a while at that point that he wasn't going to be part of this team's plan. So I, they they were always built to be bad, whether they're surprisingly bad. I'm sure you could pick out certain instances, like if you were hoping to see a dramatic uptick in Jay Sean Tate's efficiency from beyond the arc. Or like I said, the Kevin Porter Jr. point guard stuff is definitely, I think, something worth talking about but like they don't have i mean you look at the team the only actual point guard that's active on this roster is technically dj augustine like we could kevin porter jr is their point guard but he's not this point guard by craft and so i think you look at them see they have what bottom three offense bottom two offense whatever it is at this point you're like hey yeah that makes sense yeah and like they won 16 basketball games last year. Like we we need we need to like put that somewhere. It, it, that I can't believe like that went under the radar. That they they just jumped up like 12 wins because they drafted Jalen Green and Elper and Shingun. Like that's that's ridiculous. Like it's like like I I thought that was a crazy high number uh, for the Rockets. Um, and I want to touch on Kevin Porter Jr. there because you you hinted on it twice now. 
he has been like to me he was the most compelling storyline for the rockets going into the season and the the reason for that is that this is his third season in the nba i realize he hasn't played like 100 games yet or whatever but like this is his third season usually that's kind of where you see that leap if if that guy is going to be an all-star if he's going to be a serious force to be reckoned with this is the year you see that and you're right. We didn't see that. Uh, in fact, it it seems pretty clear that he is not a point guard. Uh, he is. See, like, I'm going to say this and a bunch of Rockets fans are going to get mad at me for this. Right. And like, this is why you don't start off by comparing the dude to James Harden last season, which is like, like, I, I, I can't believe that was happening. But that was a thing like that's what this is why you don't do that. He is more like I watch him and I'm like. Yeah, okay. This is kind of like Dennis Schroeder. Like this is kind of like Atlanta Dennis Schroeder. Like that's that's kind of the version uh that's kind of what I see him molding into one day. I don't see him becoming a starter. I see him being being this feast or famine third guard like six man type. And that's perfectly fine. That's a very good NBA career and you got that player for nothing. Like that's a that's a good NBA outcome. How how many seasons yeah. has Dennis Schroeder played? Oh, this is, I think this is year seven for him. I'll, I'll check that really quick. But he's, I mean, uh, it's good that you mentioned the Atlanta sort of qualifier. And I guess you could have won Oklahoma City and that would, but like he was not good with the Lakers. He's not been spectacular with Boston either. But yeah, he is in year nine. My God. Yes. I feel old. Yeah. So, so n- nine, nine years in the NBA and he's probably going to play two or three more at, at least. That's a good NBA outcome. So like, I, 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 I don't know how you can be upset about getting that kind of guy for nothing. And what I'm saying when I say that is like, you compare like his raw numbers, right? Points, assists, turnovers, rebounds, all that stuff, true shooting percentage, and you put it into basketball reference, and you're gonna get players like Dennis Schroeder when he was twenty one years old. Right? Like stuff like that is like it's so hard to escape. And like, sure, we're ten games into the season, right? So he could theoretically play better. I just don't like you know, from the data I've seen from him last season and the early part of this season, I don't see him being anything more than that kind of player and like that is it the worst type of thing not all of your guys in a rebuild are going to be home runs some of those guys are going to be singles like this is a case where like you you, you might have just hit a single and that's fine i mean if his outcome is dennis Schroeder for what they gave up for him which was nothing that's probably even closer to a double but i mean i'm completely with you i think because expectations were so low for this team I was just writing something on the biggest disappointment for each team. And I think that just the Kevin Porter Jr. at point guard experiment for me uh, has been the most disappointing thing for the Rockets because I do think he hinted at having more to offer there last year. And then you look at this season, it's like, I don't know, his ability to play off others is a little bit weird. He's hitting a higher clip of his pull-up threes off the dribble threes than his catch-and-shoot threes. And, he's turning the ball over and he has 30 points. Yeah, I'm so- sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Like, and he has these blinders, right? Like, like when he's playing, he doesn't play like a point guard. Like he, it, right. it's like he he doesn't you know sense the floor around him. Like, and he'll go into a possession where like, like he'll do like a dribble handoff with like Jalen Green, right? And then Jalen Green gets himself to an, in a position where like he's actually in a pretty favorable spot to go off the dribble with somebody or or, or do a pull up three pointer or something like that, right? He's in a pretty decent position and he won't give the ball back. Right. Like, like, I don't want to say like, it's like a ball hoggy tendency, but that's kind of the vibe I get. Right. And I don't like the turnovers are the biggest thing you, you just touched on. I, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but he is turning the ball over far too much for someone who is expected to be a difference maker. And again, they cleared the decks for him. The John wall is not playing because they wanted to see what they had in Kevin Porter jr. Yeah, he's 30.3% turnover rate on pick and roll possessions as the ball handler right now. That is that is astronomical. I didn't look that up, but I would imagine that that's like got to be one of the highest clips in the league, if not the highest clips among people that are actually doing it. Although Dennis Smith Jr. exists, so I shouldn't really say that. And James Harden's been pretty bad doing that too. He's he's turning the ball over in 35.5% of his pick and roll possessions, if you care. So I I don't know. It's tough because, again, I don't, and I would ask you, like, based off what you expected from this team, is there anything that actually disappoints you about what you've seen? But I guess I just had my hopes weren't sky high for Kevin Porter Porter Jr. But we did kind of talk about his performance towards the tail end of last season when we were recording in advance of this one, and I just I, I had hoped that he would be better. And at the same time, like you can also ask, was clearing the deck like the smartest thing for them to do because you're so you're so reliant on a bunch of youngsters, you're so reliant on a Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. backcourt that doesn't have 
a ton of experience. So th- there's that to question as well. But it does seem like this team was pretty married to the idea that, hey, he could do more. As, you know, forget about the scoring efficiency. You already sort of just mentioned it. Like, do more as a passer, as a table setter than he's done to this point. And it's not just the turnovers. Those are a huge part of it. But this is just someone who I, watching him last year, you watched him more than I did, I thought there was like a feel for a playmaker there. And I just don't sense that type of like vibe from him in the games that I've seen this year. He is, um, he is the guy who makes the occasional good pass. Right. And that's fine. Like that's, that's not, that's not, you know, anything to sneeze at. It's, it's, it's just a guy that's not a point guard. It's just not a guy that's not a primary playmaker. And, you know, you mentioned was clearing the deck, the right move. I think it ultimately was because it kind of, you can kind of know now, right? Like you can kind of know like, okay, like you don't have to wait another season. Like, okay, Jay, John Wall is gone. Now can we, now we can go see what we have with Kevin Porter Jr. at point guard. Now you kind of know like, okay, like this probably isn't your long-term starting, starting point guard, right? Now you probably, you know, you can, you know, Start planning ahead. Think about maybe moving him down the line. You don't have to move him right now. There's no there's no rush for that. But you can start talking about that kind of stuff behind the scenes. Um, so my second takeaway: Jalen Green shows flashes of stardom, but is ultimately going to be a project. And this is one takeaway that actually surprised me. Um, so as you know, uh, because we talked about this pre-draft, like I was an Evan Mobley guy. Uh, he was the second best mm-hmm. player on my board. Uh, but I thought Jalen Green would be better in his rookie season. I thought Mobley would be a project. And so far, it looks like those two things are flipped. Mobley's looked like the more NBA-ready player, and Green has been the project. And by the way, I'm not going to do victory laps about my Evan Mobley thing because I'm not an idiot. Like, I know it's way too early, <laughs> and I'm always the guy that's like, okay, but can you give Trey Young like a full season before you shit on the Hawks for trading Luka? Like... I, I'm, I'm always that guy. I'm always the let's be patient, like give these guys two or three more years before we start making indictments about this stuff. Uh, but I will say this. This is why I think it's stupid to crap on a player because there's a C next to his name come draft time. Like I think like if we're still viewing players through this narrow prism where like apparently you shouldn't you should never draft a big man high up in the draft. Well, nobody told me about that dumb rule because I feel seen. Yeah, I feel seen. Because other, other, <laughs> because otherwise I'm out. I'm out. Like it's so dumb that people crapped on Evan Mobley and said Green would be the better player simply because of the positions that they play. And this happened a lot. So I don't want to hear oh this wasn't a thing because this was absolutely a thing. And I'll I'll get off my soapbox, but like Listen, like I, I said on last week's show with Kaylee Griffin, and I'll say it now. I haven't seen anything to convince me that Jalen Green isn't going to be an all-star someday. I still believe that. Uh, if you're a Rockets fan out there that's panicking about his bust potential, I wouldn't be doing that right now. Um, as a side note, I've actually been pretty impressed by like his interior passing ability. Like It's forced me to like recalibrate how I think of him as a potential playmaker in the future. Maybe not like a primary guy, but like a secondary mm-hmm. guy. Um I still don't think he's going to be as good as Cade and Mo- or Mobley in that area, but he's showing instincts right now that he wasn't showing in the G League. Like, what have you thought of Jalen Green, and what's your second takeaway? Well, to touch on the Mobley stuff, I was just among the people that I might have fallen firmly into the camp of, like, don't draft a big that high, but I just <laughs> didn't see this. Um, and I only get, like, you know, ankle shin deep into draft coverage, and so it's presented with the caveat of that. I didn't even see. I still think he might be somewhat of a project offensively, uh, although I guess that game against the Knicks on Sunday night begs to differ. I I just didn't see this coming. On, like I never viewed him as someone who's going to defend all five positions, be able to play as basically the small forward. I know that he's playing with Larry Markkinen and Jared Allen, and he's going to be listed as the four in those lineups, but he's the wing defensively for those units, and he's been thriving. So um, you, you're probably onto something there. We shouldn't have written. If people, yeah, I don't know that I fell again into the camp squarely of don't ever draft a big that high, but I was not, I would have taken Jalen Green over Evan Mobley. I would have taken Jalen Suggs over Evan Mobley. I would have taken Scotty Barnes over Evan Mobley. And, and those um, things could pretty... still be true. Like we're 10 games in. I'm not, I'm not doing victory laps yet. Okay. You can do it relative to what I said about Evan Mobley. That's, I think that's totally fair. Jalen Green, I just can't bring myself to work. Like you could look at it, the raw data and be like, oh, he's averaging fewer points per shot than David Nwaba this season. And that is terrifying, but he's a rookie who takes a lot of difficult shots. And I just think like some of these things are going to come around for him. I see him just looking at what he does on the inside. I feel like there's going to be a better finisher around the rim at some point. I don't really get all um, 
caught up in, oh, he's not shooting well from three right now because the level of difficulty on those attempts and I think some of the the um, defensive attention that he is drawing is just going to be, or isn't going to be, it has been just light years sort of ahead of what some of these other rookies are, are going to face. And he doesn't really have that unless you're going to play a ton of minutes with with Eric Gordon and Christian Wood at the same time. Like you don't just have those you know, safety nets around you. So there are going to be times when he is um, like the, the sole or the primary focus of the, of the defense. I've actually been impressed too with his passing. And I've been looking at this like earlier when I was trying to decide what to write about the Rockets. I didn't realize that he had like a 12.8 assist rate on, on drives. And so this is someone who is still not really finishing really efficiently in those situations where you're looking at the rim or even those short mid-range attempts. And yes, his turnover percentage is going to be higher than assist percentage on drive. But there's like a, I went back and I looked at some of them. Like there is a, there is a feel, there is a vision there. And so I'd be curious. I think you said it best. He probably won't be a primary playmaker, but is this someone who could maybe be the second best facilitator on your team? And can you get away with certain unit units where, you know, a lot, a lot of these people like to see these off guards play with a ton of bench mobs where maybe then they're the primary engine in that situation as both a playmaker and scorer. Can he be something like that? And so I think there are good harbingers here to look at, and I'm just going to come back to the, I haven't looked into actually the shot difficulty data, which it's available, but I just haven't dug deep into it because we're so early in the season, but I would hazard that. Like when you look at what his expected field goal percentage is supposed to be relative to his shots, that he's probably not going to be, yes, he will be below average, but he's not going to be way far off because this is a rookie who is, taking just like you know you look at those off the dribble threes that he takes and some of them feel like he shouldn't even take them like there are the ill-advised shots but just the the license the agency that he has coupled with the responsibility i'm more concerned about the aesthetics of his game and those to me for the most part have looked really good this year yeah and some of these passes are fast man like they're they're, they're coming out of his hands really quickly um and you're right he does turn the ball over a lot on these passes um it, it, but I, i'm glad that he has that instinct in him right like that, that it's not just you know he, he doesn't have the same blinders when he drives that i would say porter jr has right like i think i think he's a little bit more instinctual with that kind of stuff uh one thing i am interested to see to see how it develops is like the drive and kick game because so far that it really hasn't been instinctive for him like that's something like you know you're talking about like the best passes in the game that's something they have down he doesn't have any of that right now so I, I, i'm going to be interested to see if any of that develops you know like see if that becomes a thing but so far it's usually been like you know the big man in the paint or the cutter and that's that's a start like that's something i didn't think he had like honestly that's one of the reasons i had jalen suggs ahead of him uh on my prospect list like i i thought you know Sucks, which is way more advanced as a passer um, than Green, but um, yeah, it's it's a positive. And a rough go for Suggs, probably rougher than Jalen Green to this point too. Yeah, yeah, and he, he to be fair, he has less agency in that offense than Green does in this offense, which is surprising because when you looked at the roster coming in. I thought that he was just going to have carte blanche there. And it's probably better that he doesn't, but like Cole Anthony's Cole come Anthony, on, you have RJ Hampton there. Uh, Franz Wagner's been doing a ton of stuff for them. Even Wendell Carter Jr.'s looked really good. So I expected him to have more responsibility. It's probably better that he doesn't, but he's like, he is the least efficient pull-up jump shooter in the league this season uh, among guys that have, have taken at least 25 of them on the year. I think that's 102 players. So he is, he is going through it. Cole Anthony had 33 points the other night. She's, she's having and the greatest interview of all time. Yeah. What did he say? What did he say? You, did you see the, you didn't see his post game interview where he just like shout, he spent a lot of time shouting out, um, RJ Hampton, but he like, he shouted out the entire team. It was just like, it was electric. It was, it was just pure elation. And I've actually enjoyed the magic this year. Their, their offense is statistically bad, but their starting lineup has actually been like the most effective unit in basketball. And you wouldn't expect that when it's Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, and then Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter Jr. And, Mobamba, I think that there's they're definitely shallow after that, and their defense is is nightmarishly bad. But there's like there's some fun elements to their offense, and they're a team where Detroit could take a a page out of their book, where it's like they suck, but they fun suck, and Detroit just very much is not that. And I even think like the Rockets are probably somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, where it's I can enjoy what I'm watching with the Rockets, even if if they're bad. Like they can be fun, they can be they can be electric. Um, they can just have these, not just viral moments, but just like they can keep you engaged even when they're not necessarily playing all that well. Whereas Detroit has just been like one long giant slog, even, you know, both with and without Cade Cunningham. So Orlando has just been 
again, that starting unit is has to be one of the biggest surprises in the NBA because we're 12% of the way through their schedule, whatever it is right now. And they're still just, they're crushing opponents. It's their net rating is like plus 15 and they're shooting like 40% as a group from, from three. And that's with, as we both have talked about Jalen Suggs sort of struggling. So Cole Anthony is doing some heavy lifting there and it's apparently working. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Jalen green thing go, going back, it's like his dunks are just so violent. Like the, the, they're, you're going to get like a, a viral dunk from him every single game. And I'm, I'm almost worried that he's going to hurt himself on these dunks. Cause it's like, he cocks the ball so far back. He's going to like, I, I, I don't want to jinx it. Knock on wood. But he's cocking it so far back that I'm worried that he's going to like dislocate his shoulder like that. that, that it's it's insane. Like it's, I enjoy watching him dunk, but he I, I I would think I would hope the Rockets coaching staff has a talk with him about that. Just like just like peel it back a little bit, you know. Like let's dunk, let's dunk normally. Um, so my third takeaway is that Alperin Shangun is already one of Houston's best players. Now, Dan, you know how big of a Shangun guy. I was before the draft, but I promise you... And you know how little of a Shangun guy I was coming in as well. Right, right. I promise you this isn't my bias coming through. I really do believe he's one of the best players on this roster right now. Uh, He's the full package, man. Like He's an unbelievable passer. He's a crafty finisher. He's got great footwork in the post. And defensively, he's actually not been terrible. Like He's not been good, but he's not been terrible. And I don't think he's going to be like Mobley good by any means, right? Like I'm not even trying to suggest that. But I think he's going to be good enough to eventually be a starter. And that was my big hot take on last week's show. Like, he should be starting on this team, man. Like, the Daniel Tice and Christian Wood thing, you touched on it earlier in the podcast, that that pairing has been a flaming pile of crap. Uh, as both of us actually predicted, we talked about this um, when, I, when I came on your show. It's a negative 16.7 per 100 possessions thus far. And that number is not budging. I've been tracking it. It's not budging. It just stays bad. Um, now, to be fair, Shangun and Wood have climbed up to be a negative 7.1. But I do think that pairing shows more promise, particularly with Shangun's passing passing instincts to Wood. Like, Wood seems to always be cutting when Shangun has the ball in the high post. Like, he's always, like, looking to get that easy layup or dunk. So I think they have more potential there. And I think that's a better... I, like, I, I just think like the, the fit with these big lineups are always going to be bad, but Shingun is a, clearly a better basketball player than Tice, so it's less bad. Um, Dan, react to that and give me your third takeaway. I'm totally there probably with you on Shingun. I don't know. I might be a little bit or a lot lower on his defense than you. I can't. He had a play the other night against the Warriors where like he got caught on a switch. I think it was Jordan Poole on the perimeter. He like turned his body and everything, was able to block the shot at the rim. But then you see these other plays where he just gets absolutely roasted. And so I'm just curious what to make of, of his defense moving forward. Is he going to be someone that you can attack or is he going to be kind of the guy that is, you know, subtly better than you actually think? I am with you offensively though. And like, he's had some, some turnover issues himself, but he's thrown some nifty, nifty passes. There was like the, the touch pass to, I think it actually might've been, you said a cutting Christian wood. And I think it was to Christian wood, um, against the warriors, just like Christian wood had slipped behind the defense and he was able to find him right at the rim. His floor awareness is off the charts. I think when you kind of look at, um, what he does is a spread big. There's, I don't, I don't know what the word is. There's like less effort that has to go into his jump shot where I feel like Daniel Tice like like can be very taxing to watch and so there's more smoothness there then there's just like he can do more with the ball in his hands whether he's facing up or if you really want to try and work it through him um, to the basket and I haven't watched a ton of those possessions of his so I would agree with you that I'd be more intrigued or even regardless of what the data says at this point it's wild how data can swing over the course of a game or two still at this point because I think when you tweeted about it they were like a plus six points per 100 possessions when Shangun and Wood we're playing together. Now that's just totally submarined by 13 points per 100 possessions in the wrong direction. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I just don't know what to make of his defense so far. My third takeaway with this team is that I think Kenyon Martin Jr. deserves to play more minutes. And I'm curious as to what you, where you land on that. I know they kind of have enough... Um, I don't know what you even like perimeter type players where if you're not going to be able to hit your threes, like could it be hard to stay on the floor, but he is like this shot of adrenaline and he continues to um, shoot so well from inside the arc, 81.5% on twos this season. I just love the idea of a player like Kenyon Martin jr. Even if he's going to have like severe limitations on the offensive end. 
Alper and Shingun attempts like one audacious pass every game. Like he had a behind the, the head pass, like while he was in the high post, um, that that completely turned. He went out of bounds, right? Like it was just a, a dumb pass to make, but he does that. KJ Martin attempts like an audacious dunk every game, right? Like he just tries to like embarrass his opponent near the basket every single game. I'm with you, man. That guy, that guy's good. He, he deserves to play more. He was good last season. Um, I had a freakout podcast last season with. Uh, my guy Ali Khan Bijani, midway through the season, we're like, we were kind of like, I think, I think KJ Martin might be like sneaky better than Kevin Porter Jr. Like, I think that might actually be a thing. Like, he's actually like really, really good. Uh, and I, the, the athleticism is is off the charts. That guy is. It's not hard to tell who his dad is. Uh, it, that's very apparent when you watch him play. Um, and that does kind of dovetail nicely into my last take into one of my takeaways actually is like, which is like Houston has way too many veterans right now and they need to make some trades. And um, we're going to talk about Eric Gordon in a second, but this goes beyond Eric Gordon. Like this roster has way too many guys that are above the age of 25. As of recording, they haven't even set down Usman Gruba and Josh Christopher to the G league yet. Like they're just toiling away on Houston's bent. I'm upset just, about that. Just not getting to Garuba, by the way. Right. Yeah. Just not getting any minutes. And I think that's crazy. Like if, if they're not going to play, let them play with the Vipers. But like, anyways, like there's just way too much like DJ Augustine and David Nwaba and like not enough KJ Martin and Josh Christopher, like, but way too much DJ Augustine. I've seen enough of that. Like I, like I, 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 I know what he is in the NBA. That's fine. Like he's, he's competent. He's a fourth guard, fifth guard, baby. Like that's, the, the Rockets have way too many young players to be doing this stuff. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that, though, because like I don't know that you look at any of the veterans and say they're playing way too many minutes. I guess if you want to lower Daniel Tice's minutes, but like everyone else that you mentioned is under 15 minutes per game. And I, don't, I also don't know how you, in the games that Eric Gordon is going to play, how do you justify playing him much, much less when he's so good? Because that was going to be... Like my, one of my takeaways was that I'm preemptively saying whoever trades for Eric Gordon at the deadline is going to be a winner at the deadline because he still remains like a a very impactful player. Even if you think that some of his you know shooting splits are going to normalize this year, which I don't even know why you would think that because he probably if he gets moved goes into like a better offense that can streamline his role a little bit. So, um, but it is interesting that you say that where it does feel like there's too many veterans on this roster, or at least that they're not spreading the love amongst their youngsters too much. And even, you know, Jay Sean Tate, you know, you look at him, he's 26. This is age 26 season. So that kind of skews it a little bit. I, one of the bigger things, and you, you had warned me about this, that Usman Gruber wasn't really going to play. I just thought that he would have had stints in the D league, G league then, excuse me, if he wasn't going to be playing with the big club. And so I would very much prefer to see him on the floor as opposed to, you know, uh, Daniel Tice, even I know that he's supposed to be super old, but if you're not going to play him, like then you do need to send him with uh, down to the G League of Bunts. I don't even know that you said they haven't even sent him there no. at this point this season, so that makes me sad. Yeah, and like it's even weirder with Guru because he won't even get in in garbage time. Like they'll throw out their garbage time unit, and he is nowhere to be found. And it's like, what are we doing here? Like, 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 is the plan in Houston to develop and get better? Or is it to tr- or is it to try and win garbage time minutes? Like, wh- what the hell is this, right? Like, I just think I just think there has to be a more consistent plan there. Um, I get that coaches are trying to win at all times, and you know, all, part of that involves playing veterans, which are usually better than the young players. I get that, but like, you know, there are opportunities to sneak these guys into minutes, um, and it, you know, Steven Saz is just not doing that. Um, you touched on Eric Gordon and Dan, last time I was on your show, I said Houston would be able to fetch a first round pick for Gordon at the trade deadline this year. And I thought his contract was like fair value and you didn't scoff at that take, but I think you winced, you winced. Like there was some wincing going around on your end. And I guess I want to say to you like 10 games in the guy is averaging 14 points a game on 66% true shooting. Um, what have you thought of Gordon's play? And am I still crazy for believing that take? Is, is he first round pick worthy now? I, I would hope I didn't call you crazy. I'm sure I did wince at it, but as someone who thought Eric Gordon is more impactful than I would say the, the majority of people, I hope I did not say it was crazy. I think it makes more sense that you could easily get a first round pick for him now because he only has the, what is it? One guaranteed year left after this season. He's playing so well now. So you get a year and a half of him and someone who can clearly be like a very impactful scorer without necessarily obliterating your your defense depending on the lineups you want to play 
I think what I'm very curious is to, I think we can name teams that need them, but what team is going to just come and be like, Hey, we'll give you a first round pick. Um, Dallas is in a weird spot because they owe a 2023 pick to the, to the Knicks, but they are a team that I thought immediately like needs, needs an Eric Gordon this season. Um, do the Cavs sort of read into how well they've played thus far and want to give themselves an offensive jolt? I don't think you're getting a first round pick out of a team like that. And so I think what I've had trouble spotting and maybe I just haven't thought about it enough. I mean, even a team like Philly, maybe you give up a first round pick for Eric Gordon, but like, I don't even know how to get the money matching without trading. I don't think you're giving up Ben Simmons in that deal. And I don't know why you give up Tobias Harris. Like that doesn't make sense for Philly or Houston uh, in those circumstances. So I think it really depends on how the trade market develops, but I don't think that it's a blasphemous take at all at this point because he gives contenders a lot of what they need whereas yeah okay he spaces defenses it's not even the makes by virtue of where he's standing sometimes but this is also someone who can give you legitimate rim pressure if you put the ball in his hands and, and give him an adequate um head start going downhill he's 43 percent of his shots this season are coming at the rim and so like that there's real value there so no i don't think that's uh, if i winced before i'm not wincing now even if i don't know the team that that will or should or, or is most likely to, to fork over that first round pick. Hey, listen, you weren't the only you know sh- like podcast host that host that winced when I said that. I, I was on several shows before the season, and I threw that take out a, a bunch. But I just, I just think the the preconceived notion with Gordon was that his contract was so bad and, and so hard to swallow. And I'm just like, like first of all, you can excuse that last year. That last year is like it's only guaranteed if the team he's on wins a championship or if he makes an all-star team. So it's a pretty unlikely incentive to hit. And if it does hit, right. you're pretty happy about it, right? Like he's, if he makes an all-star team or if he makes, or, or if, he, if the team you're on wins a championship, you're, you're not, you're not upset about paying Eric Gordon that third year, but you know, you're basically talking about $18 million next year. And um, I guess by the trade deadline, what, 10 million will be left over? I don't know. I, don't, I, I'm, I, I can't do the math right now, but you're talking about $28 million in salary for Eric Gordon. I don't think that's crazy for him. I, I don't. I, I really think that guy is a really, really good role player. And he makes teams better. Dallas is a great, great team. I think um, the Clippers, uh, they, can, they can scrounge together some contracts and, do, and make that trade happen. Uh, Denver? Uh, I'm not. I, I'm not sure about their contract situation. Like, I, I guess Will Barton is a player. Like, although I'm not sure if if they want to trade Will Barton, but like that's that. Yeah, Will Barton's been playing so well. Right. Um. There, but Denver's offense has been struggling. I think for them specifically, just knowing that you can't, you know, like you're not moving Jamal Murray. You just extended Michael Porter Jr. You just extended Aaron Gordon too. Um. I don't know. If, and I think you probably just hope that Michael Porter Jr. once he's healthy starts hitting shots. Uh, the team that I thought about, but their first round pick would have to be from 2027 is like the Lakers have Talon Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn. Those are like their only real salary fillers at this point because you can't trade one of your three quote unquote stars. Um, they need an Eric Gordon so badly at this point. Like they, Carmelo Anthony is uncomfortably important to them right now. That's not a shot at Carmelo Anthony. It's just everyone saw this. Russell Westbrook experiment being tough at best. And it's probably been worse than that. And so their offense still needs like this additional jolt and Eric Gordon would be a great get for them, but I don't know why you give up uh, a 2027 first round pick for, for Eric Gordon, but they are a team that's impulsive enough, I suppose to do it. They're not giving up that 2027 first round pick. I think that, I think that would be crazy. I think, I think the way a team like the Lakers get, Eric Gordon is like a three-team trade, which I, I, I don't think is crazy because they have a lot of team construction to do. Like, they have a lot of stuff to fix on that roster. Um, so I think they're going to be an active... You need someone to love Talon Horton Tucker still because that's your primary trade asset at this point is 20-year-old Talon Horton Tucker who's yet to play this season. Right, yeah. It, it, it will be tough, but but like I think they're going to be active at the trade deadline. I'm not sure if they're an Eric Gordon team. Like I think those other teams that we talked about are more likely to trade for him. But um, the-, the Clippers are interesting because it's like, what do you give up in a year where you, you just clearly aren't going to win the title unless you think that Kawhi Leonard is one coming back and two going to look great when he does. And then you also just don't own your first round pick and you still have additional commitments to Oklahoma City after this year. And so I'd just be curious as to they are another good Eric Gordon destination, but like, you know, our, Luke Kennard has been so good. Is Houston even interested in him though? And if you're going to give up Eric Bledsoe, like then you need to start sweetening that deal with actual stuff Houston wants. And I'm just not sure, you know, do they really want, uh, you know, Keon Johnson, their first round pick from, from this year. I, like, I don't, I just don't know that the, the Clippers have the, the asset firepower to enter this race either. They certainly have the money, like the contract money to sort of mix and match, but I don't know if they have 
enough or the incentive to give up enough of what Houston should be asking for. Well, yeah, th- that's why I had them written down. Is their contracts are so perfect to make trades? They just they they're just so hamstrung by it, their pick situation. They do have all their seconds for what that's worth. You know, I'm, like, I, like if you're trying to sweeten a contract, it's not the worst idea to throw in a second round pick. Um, but here's here's a question: sure. Would you would you do Eric Gordon and Daniel Tice for Kristaps Porzingis? Eric Gordon and Daniel Tice for Kristaps Porzingis. You're at least thinking about it, so you haven't vomited yet. Well, I'd be more iffy on Houston side. I know Kristaps is younger, um, but probably not. Two years left. Yeah. Uh, is it like you're not giving up anyone who's like mission critical to your long term though? So that's sure. a lot about Kristaps' stock. That because like I could say, okay, what if it's Eric Gordon and Daniel House? Like maybe that money can be workable. I don't. I don't think it is exactly, but I don't like th- to me Daniel Tice, Daniel House. Like if I'm Houston, like whatever at this point. So I I would think about it just as like the high upside play, but it says a lot about how much Kristaps's value is cratered that you you ultimately said no to a deal of yeah, Eric Gordon's good, but he's very clearly not part of your future, and he is an injury risk himself. I think that's the only reason you don't make a trade for Eric Gordon is you're worried about most likely his knees. Well, it's not, it's, it's not Perzingis' talent so less. It's, it's the injuries, right? Like Oh, it's his talent. Yo, oh, it's his talent. Well, Have, like, he, he's, he should be no more than just a pick-and-pop big man, and he wants to post up. He wants to dribble into mid-range jumpers. Jason Kidd has empowered him to dribble into more mid-range jumpers. I think that Jason Kidd should probably empower him to stop at this point. <laughs> he's just been... He's been so bad. He's averaging 0.5 or 0.73 points per possession in the post. And he's not doing that more often than normal this year, but it's still like 17 plus percent of his offensive possessions. Granted, he's played in five games, but that's also part of the problem. You alluded to it with health. I also think though that it's a genuine talent concern too. I just don't know that he has the, the, I don't even want to say star, but like this, you know, fringe star upside anymore. I think that ship is kind of sailed. Well, I, I think I think some of this stuff is going to level off. He's not going to shoot forty five point six percent from from true shooting percentage for the entire season. That's going to level off. He's going to get better. A, a lot of the stuff is just like early season noise, right? And yes, he's the injury stuff, as we talked about, is a concern. I I I just it's not for me. That's not the primary reason I'd say no. It's the availability for me. I, I, you're right in that he is not a star player, but he is a good player. I think I think the the I you know the idealized version of Kristaps Porzingis is still positive, but I mean you look at what the what the Rockets roster is. I mean they have a lot of like a lot they have a lot of big men that they need to play, right? Like so, what is Porzingis going to do here? Well, you're getting rid of one of them, sure, in but, like, but yeah, I get like you still have Shangun and Garuba. That's not going to help you get either of those guys. And Christian Wood, right? Like it's it's just like it it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, the unpopular take here, and I don't mean to ruin the downloads on this episode. I would 100% trade Christian Wood this season because you're guaranteed to get most multiple first round picks and probably like a nice prospect within that deal. And I think that ultimately it clears the way more for Shangun minutes and, you know, Garuba again, it doesn't seem like they actually want to play Garuba though. And I think that that's just more valuable to you than either having to like extend or sign Christian Wood to this big money deal when he's up for it. Yeah, I, I I just I don't want to have this conversation again. I feel like I have it every single podcast about Christian Wood. I, I get Oh, that's fair. Then we get but I get why Rockets fans don't want to do this because Christian Wood's really good. Yeah. I just think from the cold hearted business perspective, right um, envisioning what they could get for him, now would be the time to move him. Yeah. It's just um I don't. I, I like. I, I. I'm. I'm not ready to have that conversation again. Like for like the third time in four podcasts. Like yeah. I, like everybody knows where I stand on this, right? Like like you know where I stand and, on this. It's just. It's. And I think Rockets fans are are warming up to the idea, like because Christian Wood had that game where he just attempted what was it five field goal attempts because he didn't get the ball the the prior game. Um. So <laughs> so they've soured at him a little bit, but I, I do think there's still there's still a lot of people in that camp where it's like I don't even want to have the conversation. You're crazy for even talking about it. It's like I I just I don't want to touch. I just don't want to touch it right now. I will say the last thing I'll actually say on it is if you're not scared of what he's going to cost you long term as a team, I get why you would hold on to him. I just don't know what the when you I mean let's look at this past summer with what Rashawn Holmes got versus what Jared Allen got like five years and a hundred. And then Rashawn Holmes gets four years. And like he was able to stay on an early bird rights deal with Sacramento. So like the big man market is just so 
overwhelmingly all over the place. Uh, if you're just not worried about his next contract, I totally get why you hold on to him. Christian Wood's a, a very good player, and the idea in the NBA is to have very good players. Yeah, I mean, like here's here's the thing: like the 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 people that are arguing that Christian Wood should not be touched right now, they do have one thing in their favor, and that they're going to have all this space in 2023, and they're going to have to spend it on somebody. So if they miss on all their right. targets, Christian Wood's not the worst fallback fallback plan because, like, again. They have 2023 and that space is gone, not coming back. You're not going to get in 2024. It's not, even if you sign players, it's not going to roll over. Like they have extensions coming up for their young players by that point. So like you're going to have to spend that money. And I guess the idea of, of Christian Wood being the vehicle to spend that money is not the worst idea. Again, if look, no deal in the NBA is tradable. So if you're just not scared at the price point, it could settle into what's a either that's viewed as a win-win for player and team, or maybe it ends up being, I'm not going to applaud team-friendly deals, but the big man market is such that I think you can envision any number of outcomes because it feels like there's just no predicting the big man market, almost regardless of what, yeah, there's probably like four to five bigs where it's just like, okay, you know, they're getting the max and there's always the bigs. They're like, yeah, they're, you're not, they're not going to get that much money, but there's all those in-between impact bigs where it's just tough to have a feel for, where their market's going to go. And I think this this past summer was just a perfect example based on the discrepancy between uh, what Rashawn Holmes and, and Jared Allen got. I, I can't get over the Jared Allen contract. It, it just gives me a headache. Every, every single time it gets brought up, I just, I just, I just get, I just, my head hurts. Like I, I don't like that, that money was insane. Cleveland was insane for doing that. But um, that I don't want to get too derailed here. Before we get out of here, give me your last takeaway and your general feel on the state of Houston rebuild. The thumbs up, thumbs down. Are are they enjoyable to watch? You kind of touched on them, and like they're kind of in that middle ground area where they're not they're not horrendous to watch, but they're not exactly league pass darlings. So like, wh- where are you on them right now? I think they're probably right where they should be. Like that's just not really a a, a hot take. I think if anything, I would like to see them lean more so into a frenetic style of play where right now they're, they're ninth in um, average offensive uh, possession time. And I would like to see them be, you know, higher than that, just based off some of the personnel that they do have. I think we've already mentioned that it'd be cool to see some of their, you know, other younger guys um, get more minutes where I've, I know that I might be like the outliers that pertains to Usman Garuba, but can you at least get him run in the G league if he's not going to play? And I will say, this is not a Christian Wood thing. I do think you're a team that should probably look at trying to capitalize on some of your veteran uh, players at the trade deadline. Eric Gordon's the one that stands out as well. If Daniel House is healthy, I imagine that there will be some like residual interest still in him. Uh, you know, I don't think that Daniel Tice should be off limits by any means, especially when um, Shane Goon looks pretty good this year. So that's something that I think that they need to too early to look at now. I don't think we've seen the trade market develop and um, free agents that were signed this summer can't be traded. Most of them until I think it's December 15th. So I would look, I want to see them lean more into this um, even more so than they already have right now, whether that's be a trade or just figuring out ways to get some of the younger, more longer term pieces run that look, that includes, it's not even a Garuba, Josh Christopher thing. The guys who aren't getting minutes, it's a Kenyon Martin jr. Thing. Like he feels like more than a 15 minute per game player to me. So that would be something I'd, I'd watch for here. And I, I guess I want to see them experiment or maybe is there a way for them to take their own flyer on different looks at point guard? Like, I just don't know what type of, are there distressed assets out there? Like they had when they had the opportunity to get, um, Kevin Porter jr. I don't like none of them like immediately spring to mind, but that's something else to consider because if you just right now at this point, don't view, uh, Kevin Porter jr. As your, your point guard of the future. Like it's, it's time to get a feel for that. And you don't have someone on the roster, I guess, aside from Josh Christopher, where you could say, Hey, like, yeah, why don't you try and go run this offense and, and see what happens? And no, I don't want to see them go out there and like give up assets to actually acquire Jalen Brunson. Who's been fantastic this season, but is there just like a, you know, a low risk high reward play that, that they could sort of make there like a, even you know, a Jordan McLaughlin in, in Minnesota. That's just like the random name that's springing to mind right now. Like how low is uh, new Orleans willing to sell on Kyra Lewis jr. At this point. So um, that might just be something if I'm them where you're looking at, you know, acting as buyers, so to speak, which this team really shouldn't be. Um, that might be something that I, I'm considering for them. Right. Like, is there a Jarrett Culver trade out there for them? Right. Like, can you, can you go get like a draft pick that didn't work out somewhere? Uh, and, and, and see how it works in Houston, right? Like, like the same thing that, that what they did with Kevin Board Jr. Um, I'm with you there. Uh, 
I I would really like to see how aggressive, like how cold and how calculated and how ruthless, like the Rockets front office is willing to be at this trade deadline. Like, like, are you willing to go all the way? And like, we all know Eric Gordon's going to be gone, but who else? Right? Like Daniel House probably going to be gone in some form or another. You know, if they can't find a team for him, they'll probably wave and buy him out. Whatever. Like, I, I don't see his place on the roster being that long. Right? Like, I just, I just don't, I don't. But if you look at the other players on the roster, as you we kind of touched on, Christian Wood, Daniel Tice, um, how crazy do you want to get with this? Jay Sean Tate, right? Like, like, do you want to go? That's the that's cra- that's the one, right? Where it's like, I think Oklahoma City should look at what Lou Dort's trade market might be. Like, Jay Sean Tate is kind of that guy for Houston. He's better on offense right now than uh, Lou Dort is, I would argue, but. That's the guy where it's like, I know he doesn't make a ton, but if you attach him to someone else, or if you're just looking for like a nice pick and like cheap prospect, like I'm assuming there will be teams that will be wildly intrigued by his defensive value. Yeah. Like I, I I'm, I'm just intrigued. I'm intrigued to see how crazy they get at the trade deadline. Like it, it is going to inform a lot of how I view their front office. Cause I, again, I'm still developing how I view like my, my perspective on their front office. I, I do think they've done a good job. Uh, I've disagreed with them on certain areas, right? Like I think they should have with the James Harden trade. I think they should have just taken Karis Levert. Uh, I was a Mobley guy. They were green people, whatever. Like, they, you know, like th- I've had disagreements here or there, but generally I think they've done a good job as a front office. How they handled this trade deadline is really going to uh, inform, uh, you know, it's, it's going to color a little bit more of that in for me. Yeah, I don't. Do you think that they're going to have like the motivation to necessarily go the more nuclear route just because they're so bad now? And if they continue sort of along this track where it looks like they're going to have top three, whatever lottery odds anyway, like there might not be. It'd be different if Eric Gordon was adding wins to their tally, but as of right now, he's not adding all these wins. And so that's what makes it a little bit tougher to to read is that I don't think there needs to be that pressure because they're already organically bad enough. Yeah. It's just the playing time pressure, right? Like, it's just like, can can you find ways to get Usman Garuba, KJ Martin, Josh Christopher? Can you find ways to get those guys into the rotation? Um, I, I don't, I listen, I, I ultimately don't think they have to be in the rotation. They just have to be playing somewhere, right? They just have to be playing <laughs> like basketball somewhere. Um, but, but yeah, I, 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 I just, I'm, I'm interested. I want to see how, how far they go with this. Like I've talked about this before. Like if you're, if you're a Rockets fan that gets attached to players at this point in the rebuild, like you're doing it wrong. Do not get attached to players. If you're going to go buy a Jersey, go put your own name on the back of it. Right? Like don't put, <laughs> don't, don't go put someone else's name on it. Like I think you need to do stuff like that uh, to enjoy this team. Like I think, I think getting attached to players, you know, worrying about wins that's the wrong way to go about this rebuild as a fan um but yeah i i that is one one event i am looking forward to for this season much of this season is going to be a drag for me right just covering the team is it's just it's just loss after loss after loss blown lead after blown lead after blown lead they are (laughs) remaining competitive in some of these games but I, i i kind of already know the direction already so I want to see, I want to see something else, and the trade deadline in February is going to be that something else. And there's that's where it gets tougher to keep. I don't want to say keep driving interest because I'm sure fans will still watch, but like right now, it's still sort of you know ten games into the season, it's still sort of new. You're getting a feel for these players, but there's going to come a point where you're game number fifty three, and if you're still just really bad and nothing is materially changed with your rotation, there needs to be something to continue peaking curiosity and um, investing a lot in young players already on your roster or bringing in other young guys to test out is sort of a way to continue um, padding that interest or keeping, you know, that information stream about your team, like for the front office to go back and forth. Like you don't need to continue seeing like the same old, if you're the Rockets, the same type of rotation, the same eight, nine, 10 guys playing every single night like you really need to get into a point where like you're later in the season where you're playing more musical chairs especially once you get out of like your your top five players or whatever and so that's something again that could be addressed at the trade deadline but i think it's something you organically need to do as the the season wears on when you start to have more information and some of these guys young and old the like are more known quantities than they are right now and you can never have too many draft picks right as, as sam presti is showing us right uh like I, I i don't think uh this idea of like collecting picks like like there's no guarantee the rockets go and land paulo benchero or chet 
Holmgren in the draft this year or Jalen Hardy or whoever. Like, there's no there's no guarantee the Rockets get one of those guys in the in the lottery. Like, stack up on these on these picks because that's ammunition to make trades and possibly move up, move down. Uh, you know, make make stuff happen. Give yourself more options. And like, that's kind of where I stand with with the rebuild. Like, it's like getting more picks is not the worst idea at this point. No, I mean, I'm totally with you there. You need as many bites at the apple as you can get. Because as of right now, I don't think you look at anyone on this roster aside from maybe Jalen Green at this point and say, hey, he's potentially this tentpole cornerstone. You might feel differently about Alperin Shangun there. <laughs> That's still only two players. And Oklahoma City, after all they've been through, they have two players that I think you can name that. It's Shea Gilchrist Alexander and, and Josh Giddy, who at this point, it might be a stretch to say that. He's been pleasantly surprising with his vision and, and even some of the finishes that he's shown. but he might be in the same you know, tier of curiosity as Shangun, where it's like, okay, this is, this was an interesting pick. This guy could clearly be good, but are you going to put him as a potential you know, cornerstone of this team? And your goal is to just rack up as many of those potential players as possible. And I think what you've seen right now is that if Kevin Porter Jr. does hit, it's not going to be as that type of player. So you almost have a vacancy to roll the dice on maybe someone else who, who could be. Yeah, I mean, like, I completely agree. Like, like, go ahead and roll the dice as much as you possibly can, um, and and collect as much data as you possibly can. Like, there's, like, I this is the time to experiment. This is the time to you know get crazy. This is you're not going to get this when you're a playoff team, you know, because I'm assuming that's the goal for this organization, getting back to the playoffs. Um, so you're not going to get you're not going to get time to experiment there. You're not going to get time to like just see what you have. So this is this is definitely that time. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Dan. Uh, where can we follow you on social media and read your work? Yeah, uh, follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. And you can follow all my podcast goings at Hardwood Knox, spelled exactly as it sounds. We cover the entire NBA and we are modestly insufferable. So that's an improvement upon the the typical league-wide coverage. And as always, thanks so much for having me, Salman. It's always a blast to talk hoops with you. Yeah, it's it's, it's less insufferable than me. So, you know, it's a step up. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars if you enjoy the show, because that does help other people find the show. And yeah, guys. Good night.